So the reading is from 1 John chapter 4, verse 7 to 16. Um, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not know love does not know God, because God is love. Is there, in this the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world, so that we might live through him. In this, is, in this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us, because he has given us his spirit. And we have seen and testified that the father has sent his son to be the saviour of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him, and he in God. So we have come to know and to believe that the love that God has for us, God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, Thank you so very much for inviting me back here this morning. Um, I recognize most of you, uh, but there are a good few of you which I do not recognize, and I'm so thankful for that. Uh, that is amazing. It's really encouraging to me to see that since, how long has it been? It's been over almost a year and a half now, essentially, since we were last together and since I was last here. And uh, to see faces that I do not know is a real encouragement. So uh, I'm, really, I'm really excited to see that. Uh, for those who don't know me, uh, my name is Tim. I just, so after finishing working here last year, I went on to do a master's uh, at Queen's in human rights law, um, simply with the heart um, that I would love to serve God's kingdom um, in working uh, against the injustices of this broken world that we live in. Um, I would love to see uh, the gospel of God communicated in this broken world um, in that way. Um, and this coming September, I'm going to start working um, as, a, as a schools worker for Love for Life, um, which is a gospel-centered organization that focuses on sex education, family education. Um, so I'm really excited for that. But thank you again um, for inviting me this morning uh, to communicate God's gospel to you. So, <clears throat> according to Shakespeare... Love is a smoke raised with a fume of sighs. According to French author Victor Hugo, life is the flower for which love is the honey. According to Nat King Cole, love was made for me and you. If you're up to date with the latest Marvel cinematic masterpiece that is Loki, you'll know that love is a dagger. I have had people tell me that love is an illusion, a coping mechanism to lie yourself in in order to suppress the mundane reality that we live in. I've been involved in debates about the concept of love at first sight. You can probably guess already that I studied both English Lit and Drama at (laughs) A-level. I guarantee that if you leave this building today and on your way home, you stop every single person you meet and ask them what love is, you will get a different and unique answer every single time. Depending on culture, upbringing, and experience, love can look completely different for two different people. Love, at least in a worldly, romanticized sense, is abstract, 
It is a subjective concept and nothing more. There is no concise, singular, concrete definition or structure to love as this world knows it. It is, for all sense and purposes, whatever you want it to be. But today's passage speaks of a different love. The love from which all things came to be. And all that is wrong is made right. The love that breathed life into each and every one of us and bestows grace and mercy upon us each day. The love we are looking at today will make us realize that worldly love is no different than sending a small child into the Louvre in Paris, taking them to the Mona Lisa, giving them crayons, asking them to paint a replica, and then persuading the world that this child's replica is the original masterpiece. Love in its true form, at its source, is the King of Kings hanging on a cross for you and for me. So, near, so around 66-67 AD, nearly 40 years after the death and resurrection of Jesus, John and his fellow Christians leave Jerusalem as the threat of a Roman siege grows rapidly. It's reported that John eventually traveled northwest from Jerusalem to the city of Ephesus. The church had been growing rapidly across this area. The gospel was being shared so passionately throughout Asia. The book of Revelation was also written by John. And in Revelation 2, we see that John is writing to seven churches in total regarding the visions given to him by Jesus. Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Theatria, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. And so biblical scholars have concluded that John will likely have been an elder of the regional church in this area. And therefore, it's likely that this letter we're reading today was written for these different churches, certainly at least to Ephesus. John has called, God has called John to minister the grace of the Lord Jesus over this region to ensure that they stay true to the gospel and to their calling, to uphold integrity, faithfulness, and truth. And so the churches in first century Asia, as it was in that day, and by the grace of God, us too today, have been blessed with apostolic instruction, conviction, and encouragement. The words of one who knew Jesus as a friend and a teacher. But no letter is written without purpose. If you think today's church has a problem with division, of disagreements over interpretation, well, you would be right. But I would certainly encourage you to take some time to study the work of the early church and you will see that these issues are absolutely nothing new particularly in regards to the divinity of Christ. And that is very much what is on John's heart as he writes this letter today. There was a growing movement at the time called Gnosticism, preaching the idea that salvation does not come through faith in the works of Jesus Christ on the cross, but simply through knowledge of the divine, and that Christ was an ambassador of a higher being and nothing more. What was troubling to John and to the church was that these ideas were not being preached as this new religion, but as Christianity. 
But this was one example among many of divisions being caused among the early church, just as we see it happen today. And that was on John's heart. And it was on John's heart to bring the church back to the source, to remind them of the supremacy of Christ as God incarnate, and of their need for redemption, and of their new life in Christ. And so in the lead up to the passage we're looking at today, John writes about that which was from the beginning, Jesus Christ. To then make it clear that if we say we have no sin, as we said earlier on, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. From here, John speaks of Christ as our advocate with God the Father and our faithful confidence as children of God. And finally, in light of our salvation, how must our lives be changed as we walk by faith? What must we be weary of and where must our priorities lie? And so here we are in John chapter 4. As we spend time in this passage, we'll be faced with such questions as, what does true love look like? Why are we being told to love one another? And what does it mean if we do not have love? I'll warn you now, you're going to have to bear with me on this one. Because where Paul's letters are so concise and structured, having point after point, John's are not so much. They're circular, sometimes poetic. It sometimes seems like John gets distracted by one point and then returns to what he was originally saying, but I assure you there is perfect, perfect purpose behind all of this. So I may jump back and forth, but I'll do my best to keep you in line with where I am. So verse 7, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. Now jump down to verse 12. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. And finally, the second half of verse 16 says, God is love. Whoever abides in love abides in God and God abides in him. John could not be making it any clearer that if you abide in love, if love is imprinted upon who you are in everything you think and say and do, then you know God. But hear me now loud and clear. I am not in any way telling you that love on our part is a path to God. The human act of love does not give you favor with God. Loving in thought, word, or deed does not give you forgiveness of sins, nor does it bring you closer to God. Only Christ brings you closer to God. Only faith in the work of God gives you access to the throne room of grace. But what John is making clear here is that the love, that love is the principal fruit, the result of, the evidence of one who knows God. Whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. If you have followed Christ to the cross, if you have died to your sin and been born again into new life in the Spirit, then you are a new creation. Throughout the New Testament, we're given imagery of becoming a new creation when we accept Christ as our Savior. There are characteristics of life in the flesh and there are characteristics of life in the Spirit. Your lives before and after Christ are marked by stark contrast. One way leads to life and one way leads to death. And time and time again, this new life, this rebirth, 
This resurrection in Christ is marked supremely by love. In Colossians 3, Paul calls the church in Colossae to put on the new self. In chapter 3, verse 5, he says, Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. And then in verse 12, he says, Put on then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if you have a complaint, forgive one another, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. But above all these, put on love, which binds together everything in perfect harmony. Jump once again to Galatians 5, verses 19 to 23. Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And finally, the principal passage in Scripture on the topic of love. Those of you who know me will know of my nearly seven years filming and photographing weddings, so you can rest assured I am far too familiar with this passage, as I'm sure anyone that has ever attended a wedding will also be. 1 Corinthians 13 says, If I speak in the tongues of men and angels, but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or clanging cymbal. If I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, if I deliver up my body to be burned but have not love, I gain nothing. So now faith, hope, and love abide, these three, but the greatest of these is love. The grace of God produces much fruit in believers. We see it here. In the spirit, there is joy, peace, patience, kindness, and so on. But love is the principal fruit of one who knows God. Now bear with me. I have no doubt that you'll be wondering, what exactly is this love? It's easy to tell people to love, but what does that mean? Well, rest assured, I'll make it so abundantly clear in a moment what this love is. But for now... Know this, no one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. There is no ambiguity here. There is no wiggle room, no need for interpretation. The minimum evidence for God abiding in us, the evidence or fruit of one who is saved from their sin, who accepted Jesus into their heart, is love. Just as a well-rooted tree is identified by its abundance of fruit, so too is the child of God identified by love. When Jesus himself was asked by the Pharisees, what is the greatest commandment? He replied, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. All else stems from this. All other commandments and fruit come as a furthering of this love. And so herein lies the truth. Verse 16, God is love and whoever abides in love abides in God and God abides in him.
if you do not abide in love, if you have not love in your heart, you do not know God. What both John is saying here and Jesus is saying in Matthew is that loving God and loving others cannot be divorced. They are hand in hand. Charles Spurgeon once said the following, I'm told that Christians do not love each other. I'm very sorry if that be true, but I rather doubt it, for I suspect that those who do not love each other are not Christians. So what is love according to scripture? What is true, authentic, godly love? Well, at the beginning of this talk, I mentioned various different interpretations of love in a worldly sense. Love is at the core of centuries of literature and poetry and music. It's in every film, every TV show. Love is a bestseller. But surely this passage says, whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. And that love is the fruit of God's spirit. I don't think I'm alone in my understanding that most of the love we see in literature and music and film isn't necessarily a godly love. Even most of the love we experience on a day-to-day basis among workers, friends, and family isn't necessarily a godly love. So how can we say that those who love are born of God? Well, most scholars will agree that this pa- what this passage makes clear is that there is a love that only those who know Christ as their Savior can experience. Love is accessible to believers and non-believers alike. Love, in some sense, is known to be among what we refer to as common grace, which is the gifts of God such as life, food, health, family that are accessible to believers and non-believers alike. I'll never try and persuade you that non-believers are incapable of love. Of course that isn't true. But this love, no matter how heartfelt, no matter how selfless or sacrificial, is incomplete. It's crippled. All love is from God, for God is love. So that love that is without God is love without a source. But John makes it so very clear what godly love is in this passage. And it's so wonderfully simple. Verse 9. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Love, godly love. Love in its truest original form is Jesus Christ. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us. The sending of his son to die for our sins is the love of God. Jesus is the only true love. All love stems from the cross. Arguably the most well-known, most popular verse of all time that perfectly sums up the gospel is John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. There is no way around it. If you do not know Christ, you do not know love. 
You see a perfect circle starting to form in what John is saying. If you do not know love, you do not know Christ. And if you do not know Christ, you do not know love. If the victory of the cross isn't what gets you out of bed every morning, if it isn't constantly on your mind as you go about your day, working in you, provoking you, convicting you, exciting you, pushing you to love those around you, do you know Christ? This is why non-believers are experiencing an incomplete love, because they don't know Christ. From the moment we accept Christ in our hearts and the Spirit works in us, he empowers and equips us to love like nobody else. To give up all that we have because we know all is for the glory of God. To give up our time to those who are hurting because we are ambassadors of Christ. To give up our homes to those in need because we are given a new life in Christ. To go above and beyond to always make sure that there is nothing more you can possibly do for the well-being of those around you because we live according to the grace of our Savior. That is love. Well, I tell a lie of sorts. That is not the whole picture. In fact, that's only a tiny part of the picture. In fact, while all I have said is true and right and should come as a result of knowing the love of God in Christ, it isn't even what is being specifically asked of us in this passage. Because what this passage asks of us is so, so much greater. I believe one of the greatest tragedies to happen in the history of linguistics and communication is the English language. It has butchered the beauty and impact of ancient and modern language. And one particular example of such butchering is in regards to love. You see, in the original Greek that this letter was written in, in which most, if not all, of the New Testament was written in, the Bible speaks of four very different kinds of love. But in the English, they are simply reduced to one word. There is eros, the sensual romantic love meant for a husband and wife. There is storge, which is family love, the affectionate bond that develops naturally between parents and children and brothers and sisters. There is philia, which describes the powerful emotional bond seen in deep friendships. And finally, there is agape. God's immeasurable, incomparable love for humankind. It is the divine love that comes from God. Agape love is perfect, unconditional, sacrificial, and pure. Agape is God in Christ. It's the cross. And so, by natural understanding, when I first came to this passage and I tried to understand what was being said, I first came to the conclusion that what was being said was that the agape, which is perfect, unconditional, sacrificial love of God, should produce in us the philia, emotional, bonding love found in friendship. It makes sense. It's logical. The victory of Christ should produce in us, by the Spirit, selfless human love. I was very, very wrong. Every single mention of love in this passage is agape love. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. 
Whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Not only here, but in all the other passages I mentioned earlier, it is the exact same love. John is calling the first century church and us today to love with the perfect, eternal, sacrificial, pure love of God that he first showed us. And it's not a suggestion, it's not a recommendation, it is a command. It is a calling for the children of God. But how could this be possible? How can we possibly love in this way? We, in our brokenness and in our sin, can never truly love as God loved us. Verse 15. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. If you want to love someone with all your heart, if you want to give them everything you have, if you want to love them as much as you possibly can, point them to Jesus Christ. To love with the agape love of God is to acknowledge and accept that you, in your sin, you cannot truly love others. You don't have the capacity to. You're unable. So you point them to the one who can love them. This is my challenge to you today. If you aren't directly pointing others to Christ, if it be co-workers, friends, family, or strangers on the street, if you're not pointing them to God in Christ, you're not truly loving them. And do you see how John's circular structure is complete? I told you it's not as concise or straightforward as what you would get in a Pauline letter. But it is so perfect. If you do not point others to Christ, you are not loving them. If you are not loving them, you do not know Christ. And if you do not know Christ, you do not know love. Now these things I mentioned, giving up all that you have for those in need, living selflessly, humbly, kindly, patiently, Honorably, these things are what we are called to do in love. These things are good and true and right, and they are the fruit of love. But love itself is in Christ and Christ alone. And if you have access to the greatest love that has ever existed, and you aren't doing every single thing you can to share this love with those around you, then are you truly loving them at all? Even faith itself. Go back to 1 Corinthians 13. If I have all faith so as to remove mountains but have not love, that is agape, Christ, I am nothing. Without the love of Christ in your hearts, nothing you produce, no matter how selfless or sacrificial, will ever truly be done in love. Because in Christ, all things are made right. In Christ, death is defeated, sin is forgiven, hope is found, eternity awaits. That is love. Let all that you do, whether in thought, word, or deed, point directly to Jesus Christ. But worry not, because just 
as love itself is not of our own strength but is in Christ, so too is the ability to love not in our own strength but in Christ. As in everything that comes by grace, we can kneel before God the Father and we can pray and ask him to grow this love in our hearts, to produce the love in the Spirit in our hearts. And we can ask him to lead us in all ways, at all times, in love. And in that, we will be empowered and strengthened to point to Christ and truly love those around us. By this, we know that we abide in him and he in us, because he has given us of his Spirit. And we have seen and testify that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. So we have come to know and to believe that the love of God has for us. God is love. And whoever abides in love abides in God and God abides in him. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much that we, as your children, abide in you. Thank you so much that by your grace we know the love in Jesus Christ. We have redemption of sins. We have a hope for the future. Thank you so much that by your grace we are empowered and equipped by your Spirit every single day to walk in your love. I pray, Lord, will you convict our hearts now today. Will you fill us with a hunger and a thirst, not only to know your love more, but to share your love with all those that we meet. Fill us with a need to share your kingdom, to see your glory on this earth. All for the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.